good to have you this morning. If you have your Bibles, get them on out. Turn to Book of Romans, chapter 15, this morning. Romans chapter 15. Uh, before we read, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you, uh, uh, we invite you, Lord, into our midst this morning, that you would uh, fill both of our both our hearts in this place with your Spirit, that your Spirit would be free to move and to speak to our hearts today, uh, that we would not be stiff-necked and we would not have hard hearts to... Uh, to, to block or to defend ourselves against the, the teaching of the Spirit, that we would be open and ready uh, to hear and be moved uh, by, your, by your word and by your work through the Spirit. Lord, we uh, again pray uh, for comfort for those who have lost loved ones today or this past week. We ask that you would uh, continue to be with us as a congregation as we continue to move towards you. Lord, it's in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Romans chapter 15, turn to 15, chapter, verse 22, excuse me, verse 22. We'll read to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. Uh, they and, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come into sh- come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So, plugging away our, or plugging our way through uh, Paul's concluding thoughts to the book of Romans. And just as a way of reminder or as, as just to kind of clue you in to, to uh, kind of the the shift in how we should understand what Paul is talking about or how Paul's progressing through his thoughts. As we get into the conclusion, Paul is he's much more he's much more chaotic. He's 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 getting points out. He's not necessarily making this this kind of movement of thought where in the body of Paul's letter, Paul is a 
he's a train of thought preacher. Meaning he goes from one, one point to the next point to the next point. All of these serve to, to, to proclaim one particular truth in each of his letters. And, you know, Peter, we're studying Second Peter right now in our Wednesday evening Bible study. Uh, Peter is different. He is a rabbit trail preacher. He's got his one point, but he'll, he'll go off in these little tangents. In First Peter, he's, he's talking about persevering in, in the truth, or persevering through uh, persecution, excuse me. And uh, he, he, he's, that's his point, but he talks about submitting to authorities, and he talks about hus- or husbands and wives. He talks about parents and children and masters. Like he's, he goes on these little tangents, and while they do have something to do with the, his main point, they're kind of just these little offshoots. Paul's not that way. He's a train of thought. He's on a mission. And each point, while it might not seem like it's directly impacting what he's trying to say, ultimately it will as he moves his way through his mind and, and, and presents this argument. But that's all in the body. We, we finished the body a couple weeks ago in verse 13 of chapter 15. Now we're in his conclusion. And so he kind of he kind of turns into this uh, into this just machine gunning out thoughts, right? Wes and I, we were talking about that this week. You, you know, it'd be like me writing a, a letter to go with our Christmas card to send to my family. So, oh, and, and Zane did this this year, and we finished this project at, at the house this year, and we did, you know, it's, it's, they're not necessarily connected. I mean, they might be loosely connected, but they're, they're kind of their own individual points. And so we see that a lot more in today's passage. He kind of gives us three little points uh, as we go through this. They're loosely connected, but but at the same time, not really. The first thing he, he does is he kind of continues this idea. He says, this is the reason. This this being what we talked about at the end of last week's, last week's text. That Paul considers himself to be, or by, by, his, by his calling, he knows himself to be a minister to the Gentiles. And more specifically, not just, not just to the Gentiles, but, but to those who have never heard the gospel message. And he says, I'm not going to build upon the foundation that somebody else laid because that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to, to lay new foundation in new places that have never heard the gospel. He quotes a passage and he, he says, those who have never heard, uh, those who have never been told will see and those who have never heard will understand. He, he considers that to be his mission. I'm going to go to people who have never heard and have never seen. And I'm going to teach them and show them. And then he says, this is the reason why I've not come to you. This is the reason why I've not come to Rome. Because somebody else went to Rome and, and planted the church. It wasn't Paul. And he goes, I don't, I don't think that it's right for me, the minister to the Gentiles, the minister to those who have never heard the gospel, to go and to just uh, enjoy my time with you Romans. Paul really wants to. We'll see in just a second. right? He says, I long for many years to come to you. But he never felt that he had the right to because his mission, his mission was so important to him to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. And he just he's like, I don't have time to come into in, in really to come enjoy myself in your company. It's only if I have another motivation. I will only be able to come to you if it's in passing as I go somewhere else, he says, namely Spain. This is why I've been hindered to come to you. Verse 23, he says, But now, since I have no I know I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I can come. I can I can stop by on my way to a new location. And what Paul means by this, if 
If anybody knows geography, great, you might be able to understand what I'm about to do. But if you don't, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to bear with me. So I'm going to reverse it. So if I mess it up, I apologize. So this, my hand is the Mediterranean Sea in the Middle East. So picture the Middle East. You've probably seen it on the news. Middle East, the Mediterranean Sea. Israel is right here, right? This is where Paul kind of is. This is known as Asia Minor. That's mostly when we, when we talk about geography in Scripture. That's where the, the region we most likely talk about, Asia Minor. This is where modern-day Iraq and Afghanistan and Turkey are, okay, in this region. This is where Paul has been proclaiming the message. And he's gone up to, like, the top, but it's the corner of the Mediterranean Sea for places like Corinth and, and, uh, and Thessalonica and, and places in that region. He hasn't made it to Rome. Rome is a little bit more over here. It's a little little peninsula that comes down. Uh, and then he, he hasn't been able to go that far because he's got his work over here in, in Asia Minor. And he says, I, I no longer have any room for work. Remember, his work is to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. So he, he's looking at the, at the world or at the map that he's got in his head. And he's like, okay, I've been everywhere that I can go where the gospel has not been at least preached in Asia Minor. Now I need to go somewhere else. I've completed this place, and now I'm going to go somewhere else. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody everybody on in Asia Minor believes. It also doesn't even necessarily mean that everybody in Asia Minor has heard the message. It means that he has gone and started the foundation for in enough places where this spread of the gospel from those individual churches will we'll continue to go. Ephesus will spread out to its surrounding little villages and cities. Thessalonica will grow out to its surrounding little cities. So he's like, okay, I finally have completed this work. Now I'm going to go to Spain. Spain has not been touched by the gospel, at least not yet. And, but the problem with Spain is it's not just a short little jump. It's not get on the plane, fly from you know Israel to Spain is probably only like a three-hour flight in today's, right? It's not that. This is a journey. This is a 10-year commitment. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to preach the gospel there, and I won't come back to Jerusalem for a long time, if ever. And so Paul, he's making this very serious commitment, and we, there's a little bit of evidence that he is going to, he's, he's in his mind, he's going to make Rome his home base. He's going to, he's going to go out from Rome to Spain, and he's going to, if he needs a break, he's going to come back to Rome and find some rejuvenation. Then he's going to go back out and plant more churches. This is kind of Paul's plan. But it all revolves around what he believes to be his, his calling. And, and Paul is so fixated upon this that he has made it, he has made it his, his life's mission. Obviously, he's makes it, he makes it his life's, life's mission. But it has so consumed his mind that he can't take, he can't take a break to go to Rome for a couple months. He, he, can't, he can't justify it in his mind. It's too important. Proclaiming the gospel is too important for Paul. Now, Paul, again, I'll mention this one more time. I, I said this last week. We don't want to be discouraged that Paul, Paul is the guy who goes to those who never heard and think that we should all be the same way. That's not true. Paul, Paul raised up Timothy and Titus to build on the work that he started. He raised up Sylvanius and, and many other people. We'll see next week when we get into this list of names that we're going to look at in, in, in Romans chapter 16, that all of these people are doing things other than preaching the gospel to those who have never heard. Paul alone has that mission, and many some other people do, but Paul has that mission. 
But I think what Paul wants us to see, or what Paul is showing us, is his, his concern or his, his seriousness about what he believes to be his call. We should have the same passion for what we believe our call is. If we believe our call is to preach the gospel to those who have never heard, then we need to get on a plane and go somewhere where nobody's ever heard the gospel. And don't let anything hinder us. I think that's what Jesus is saying whenever, whenever one of, somebody comes to him. He says, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. But let me go and, and, and put my affairs in order. Let me go bury my father before. He's like, no, you either come with me now or you don't go. Nothing gets in the way of your calling. It should be that serious to us. And Paul, he, he wants so desperately to go to Rome. He wants so desperately to go to Rome and, and not to preach the gospel new, but to just simply be with believers who are serious and, and fervent and, and passionate about the gospel, which is what the Romans are in large part. He says, hey, I'm satisfied, right? That's what we're talking about. Last. I'm satisfied with you guys. You guys are awesome. You're doing a great job. I, I, I want to hang out with you guys, but I can't do it. And I can't do it just to do it. I have to have a reason beyond that. I have to, it has to fit within my calling. In verse 24, right? 24, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to, to Spain. Now that, I've, now that I no longer have room in Asia Minor, I'm going to go to Spain. And I hope that on my way to Spain, I'll get to hang out with you. I finally get to, to meet, on, meet up with you and, and to be helped by you in my journey there. Probably financially is what he's talking about. You might, you might fund my trip to preach the gospel in Spain. And then he says, once I've enjoyed your company for a little while. And then he shifts. Probably in your Bibles, it should be a paragraph break. Because this, for Paul, is a paragraph break. It's a new thought. He says, at present, though, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Now, Jerusalem has a very unique situation. Jerusalem is, is the first church. You know, like, not like First Baptist Church down the road or whatever. It's the first church legitimately. They were the ones who walked and talked with Jesus. Many of them walked and talked with Jesus or encountered him at some point in their lives. And when Jesus rose from the dead, met with a bunch of believers in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and then ascended into heaven, the, the church in Jerusalem believed that Jesus, when he said, I'm going to come back soon, they believed soon meant like now, like this week, maybe next week, at the latest, he'll be back next week. And, and so what a lot of them did, first of all, most of them were poor, meaning, meaning they only had the money from the day they worked to buy the food that they would eat that night. Most of them were poor. Some of them had money, and they supported the rest of the church. But everybody went, okay, um, we're just going to worship God and we're going to wait for his return. And so they just hung out. They just had church for a couple weeks, right? Many of you are looking at me like, man, be terrible. I would, that would be so much fun to just hang out with you guys for multiple weeks, just waiting for the Lord to come back. Wouldn't that be, be exciting? That's what they did. But the problem with that is, is that Jesus didn't come back next week. Right? It's been nearly 2,000 years. He still hasn't returned. When Jesus says soon, he's using God's picture of soon. And so they kind of ran out of money. And, and building upon the fact that they were already quite poor, and now persecution is starting to happen from, from the Jewish people around them, and, and the fact that they kind of 
misunderstood what Jesus was saying and they didn't continue to work, they had a serious issue. Many of them couldn't really survive. It was hard to feed everybody, and that's not a good thing whenever really the only food you're getting is, you know, one loaf of bread and maybe some, some fish paste a day. But then Paul starts to go out, and, and this apparently plagued the Jerusalem church for many years. Paul starts to go out and preach the gospel to places like Thessalonica and, and, Corinth, and Corinth. When Paul mentions here Macedonia and, and Achaia, this is, these are the two churches I think Paul's probably primarily thinking about because it's in those two letters that we find that Paul makes a collection for the churches, the church in Jerusalem. These people, they didn't have the same misunderstanding. Paul doesn't start his mission, mission to, to these places for at least three to five years. They've realized Jesus not coming back tomorrow. He's, it, might, it might be soon, but we still have to work and make a living. And, and so that, that's what they did. And they said, uh, this, this church that we're a part of, this, this idea of being in a fellowship of believers, it's not just about us in this local church. It's about us in the, in the whole of, of, the, of the whole world. Wherever Christ is proclaimed and wherever people gather together in the name of Christ, that's the church. And because that's the church, we need to, we need to think of their needs as much as we think of our own. A lot of times, this is, this is something that plagues us in, in American churches. Is we think very much about ourselves and, and, and sadly, very rarely we think about the church at large. We don't think about the poor in Africa. We don't think about supporting the, the, the persecuted in, in the Middle East because we're very fixated upon ourselves. And sometimes we don't, even, we don't even think we have the ability to. But Paul and these, these churches in Macedonia and in Achaia pleased to do it, verse 27, right? Tells us that. They were pleased to do it. They were happy to do it. It made them, it made them joyful and happy to send this money to support these churches. They recognized the global reach of the church and acted upon it. But did you notice that Paul will not in any way hinder his mission to preach the gospel to those who have heard the, who have heard the message already? And he won't hinder the gospel to go and hang out with, with fellow believers in Rome. Because it's too important to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. But yet he's, he's willing and almost, and almost we find he's not just willing, but he thinks, it is, he thinks it is duty to take this financial gift from these churches in Macedonia and Achaia to Jerusalem. Now when Jesus gives him his mission on the road to Damascus, he, he doesn't say, you're going to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles unless some church needs a financial donation. Another very important thing that we have to take into account is that Paul had many people who traveled with him. People like Timothy and Titus, who at any point Paul could have said, hey, you take this gift to the church in Jerusalem. Paul saw something in this financial gift. He saw an importance, a simple reality of, of life itself. Everybody, every person in here has a physical existence, right? We all have physical realities and physical needs and, and, and material necessities. I, I love how God plans things that I couldn't possibly plan. I love the fact that Matt read out of, 
out of that passage this morning, out of First First Chronicles, excuse me, where where it was about the the gathering of this gift to build the temple, and how important it was to David, and how important it was to Solomon in his in his uh, in his footsteps after him, his financial gift to build the temple to worship God. Now we see Paul, he's, he has this financial gift to support the church in Jerusalem, and he thinks it's so important, so important, that it becomes part of his mission. What is happening? Well, I think what's happening is that a practical reality just arose. The church in Jerusalem was having very serious difficulties surviving. So much so that it's very potential, that it's very possible that if Paul wouldn't have brought this financial gift to the church in Jerusalem, that the church in Jerusalem would have stopped ministering the gospel. Paul sees that there are times when there are, there are material, physical realities that bear so much upon life and it's in our situation that we need to not forget about them thinking only of spiritual matters. But that sometimes the material matters are as important as the spiritual. And sometimes the spiritual becomes hindered by our lack of material awareness. So let me, let me try to pull a principle out of this and apply it to us here at Christ Church. Now this might be a little bit of a stretch, but, but I'm, I'm willing to make it a little bit of a stretch to try to make my point. I don't think I'm wrong in making this stretch, but anyway. You'll have noticed that for the past, what month are we in? Not November? Wow. We're in November since July. We have had uh, our Sunday schools hindered. Our, our youngest Sunday schools, or, or not the youngest, the middle Sunday schools hindered because of this building project. Right? And the reason why we did it was because we believed that at some point, if we didn't make changes to help in the future, if we didn't, to, to borrow Paul's, Paul's situation here, if we didn't take a gathering, if we didn't collect money and decide to take time to to fix, in some sense, the situation of our Sunday school area, that eventually that lack of preparation or that lack of material reality would have hindered us further from proclaiming the gospel. Many of you are teachers. You can raise your hands. Many of you are teachers, and you know what it was like before we started building these walls in here to have three classrooms all trying to teach over each other. It was loud. If we would sit quietly in here, you could hear the chaos through the wall. It was loud, and it was becoming a hindrance to the gospel. And so we as a church, we said, you know what? We, we believe it necessary to think about the material realities of life, take time off from the Sunday schools, spend money to bring our Sunday school area up to a, a different kind of Standard so that we can in the future minister better or in the future continue to minister at all. Because at some point as we grow, and, and by the way, we have a we have a, a a massive anomaly statistically in how many children we have in this church. On a Sunday we have 120-ish people total, including kids, and, and what, 40 to 50 of them are kids? But that's in a in a society where the norm is that there are no kids in church. We're an anomaly. And we have to, we have to think about the, the material realities necessary to properly minister the gospel. And sometimes that means, and this sounds, this sounds really crazy to say this out loud. I'm going to say it because I think that's what I see in Paul right here. 
is that sometimes it means it means pausing the proclamation of the gospel. Now, in, in our situation, just for the, for the young ones, just for the kids on Sunday, it means pausing the proclamation of the gospel so that we can take care of these material needs. Because we realize that if we don't pay attention to the material needs, then it will eventually hinder the spiritual needs. But Paul goes on. And he says something that when I read this, and I was studying this week, I went, huh? This seems to be very contrary to what Paul says throughout the whole first 11 chapters of Romans. Listen, right? Verse 27, he says, for they were pleased to do it, meaning pleased to make this financial contribution. That's what he's talking about, a financial contribution. They're not sending food or not sending it. It's financial contribution. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, ready? They owed it to them. They owed the church in Jerusalem. The, the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia owed the church in Jerusalem a financial support. Not, not maybe, not cheerfully, but owed it to them. Why? Paul gives this reason. For if the Gentiles have not come to share in their spiritual blessing. For if the Gentiles, non-Jewish non people, have, have come to share in the spiritual blessings, if the Gentiles had not been preached the gospel to and had not received justification by faith and, and justification by the blood of Christ, if they hadn't received that, then, then this would be over. But because they have, they ought also to be of service, to be of service to them in material blessings. So here's what Paul says. Okay, He says, because the Gentiles have received the blessing of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was Jewish and came to earth to save the Jewish people, God's chosen people first. That's who, God, that's who Christ came for first. That's what Paul tells us. Christ came to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But when Paul says this, he makes it very clear that there's no differentiation. It just means it's just an order of priority. It doesn't mean that the Gentiles are second. It means that the Gentiles come second. There's a big difference between being a second-class citizen and being uh, second in line. But Paul says, because you Gentiles have received the blessings, you owe them financially for the spiritual blessings that you have received in financial givings. Isn't that interesting? So. I'm going to say this now, and it's not going to, you're not going to believe me in like five minutes once I've talked about tithing and giving for five minutes. This is not a message about tithing and giving, but Paul is talking about tithing and giving. So I'm going to talk about tithing and giving. Okay. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Here is, the, here is how Scripture teaches us to give. In the Old Testament, a lot of people think that the Old Testament teaches us to give 10%, a tithe, right? And, and if you grew up in church, you've heard a, a pastor say, tithe means ten, a tenth. And so that's what you should give, a tenth. And you're right. Every pastor who has ever said that is absolutely right. That is a commandment from God to every believer, aside from the, the, the Levites, to give a tenth of everything that they take in to the church or to the faith, to the temple, tabernacle, to the Levites. And its purpose is to operate the worship of God in the proclamation of His Word. That 10%. And so God, in His wisdom and in His knowledge, established that church 
should take 10% of its occupants to operate. You want me to tell you a staggering number? Average, if you average out the average church attendant with the amount of money given based on the average income of a church attendant, uh, the average person gives about 1.5% total. 1.5%. Can you imagine just for one minute if we believed God and he said that it takes 10% of every church member to operate the church? Can you imagine what we would do as a church? Right? Because there are physical needs. It costs money to have a building. It costs money to feed the poor. It costs money to hire pastors. That sounds a little bit odd coming from me, but that's a biblical truth. The Levites were paid to live as preachers and teachers. They were also paid to worship God, to write songs and to write music. So we justify paying West because it was a biblical principle. It cost money to live in this world. And can you imagine if the church actually had the money that God called us to have? And that's just the tithe. Isn't that, because then the Bible goes on, the Old Testament goes on and says, and says, if you have a field, if you're a farmer and you have a field, you don't harvest the corners of your field, which could be easily 10% of your field. You don't harvest the corners of your field because there's poor and there's orphans uh, um, and, and there's people who are just traveling through the town and they need food to eat. And so they can go out and they can eat that food. That's in addition to the 10%. So when we say the church is operated on 10%, we're not even talking about the church feeding the poor. That's in addition to the 10%. And then if you had, if you had, if you had livestock and you had an animal that gave birth for the first time, you were to take that, that, sac, that, that animal and you were to give it to the temple as an offering. There's some more money. And that goes on and on. If you, if you study the Old Testament, if you study the, the book of Leviticus and just find the places where the, where the people of God are told to give, it's somewhere between 20 and 30 percent. 20 and 30 percent. And we give what? One and a half. And just so you know, just so everybody is clear on this, I am one of the worst offenders. It's very hard for me. Money is a, is a thing that's in, in my head. And it's in your head. And we think, it, we think oh, if I gave 30 percent to the church, I would, I would go bankrupt. No, you wouldn't. I guarantee it. That's a big guarantee, isn't it? Jesus tells us, right? He tells us, hey, if you, if you look, look at the birds. Do they work? No. But God feeds them. Look at the flowers. How insignificant is a flower? And God clothes the flowers of the field. Why? Because God is good. And then he says, and how much more important are you to God than those? I guarantee you. Again, that's a bold statement. I guarantee you, if you gave 30% to the church, God would provide. In fact, he says, test me on it. It's the only time he said, test me on it. Test me. He says, I'm going to give you back what you gave. I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to overflow it, and it's going to be given back to you. Paul says we need, there's a reality to the material world that we live in that, that Money is necessary. And when Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and in fact in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about being a cheerful, cheerful giver, by the way, he's not talking about tithing. 
And a lot of times we look at that, we go, oh, I'm not a cheerful giver. I might as well not give then. Good excuse. Paul is actually talking about an additional gift. He's saying, oh yeah, you, you, did, you need to give your 10%. I don't care if you're happy or sad or angry about it. Give your 10%. It, the corners of the field, that's what I'm talking about. He's like, you need to be cheerful and give in the corners of your field because that's what God is going to use to bless the world. And he says, it's so important, in fact, that I take this gift to Jerusalem that I'm going to pause my mission to preach the gospel to those who have never heard it. Because I know that if this doesn't Jerusalem, who's struggling right now financially, if it doesn't go to Jerusalem, the, the gospel will be hindered to continue in Jerusalem. And I can't let that happen. And then Paul says in verse 28, he says, that when, when therefore I have com- completed this and have delivered it to them, to deliver to them what has been collected. I will leave for Spain by way of you. There's the passage that I think Paul's going to use Rome as his home base. It says, and I know, I know what when I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by by your Lord Jesus by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to stir to, to strive together with uh, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So just so we don't mix this up, Paul says first, don't forget about the material blessings that are needed to keep the spiritual blessings going. Don't forget that in addition to that, the spiritual realities are real. Paul realizes that when he goes to, goes to Jerusalem, because every time he goes to Jerusalem, he either gets beaten up or thrown in prison, literally. He, he knows that when he goes to Jerusalem to give this gift to support the church, that he's probably going to get either beaten up or thrown in prison. He's like, please pray that that doesn't happen so that I can come to you. We should never forget both realities. That's heresy on both sides, to either think that, the, the word, that Christianity is only about the physical, and it's also heresy to think that Christianity is only about the spiritual. We live in, in this reality, and we live in the reality to come. And so we lift up our prayers for the, for the people who are in need. We lift up the prayers for the persecuted church. We lift up our prayers for all these different, all these different things, knowing that God is there for us. We lift up our prayers, realizing that sometimes we need more finances than we actually have, knowing that we also have a responsibility to be the means by which those things happen. So here's my very brief challenge for us as we observe Paul here. Paul realizes the importance of both realities. Many of us can, can say right now without any question where we put most of our weight as far as which reality we live in. Do we live in the spiritual reality or do we live in a spiritual or a physical reality? Do we, do we think more and, and talk more about a spiritual reality and forget about the physical? Or do we think more about the physical and forget about the spiritual? Let us be passionate about both. Let us seek to pray more. And let us seek also to Give more, not just of our finances. While I think that that's monstrously important, but give more of our time, give more of our efforts, give more of our resources, give more of our hearts and desires and passions. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would uh, teach this unto our hearts today. That you would give us strength to trust you in our giving. And that you would strengthen us in our efforts to pray more for the needs of those who are around us, both physical and spiritual. 